welcome to the Codeplay Culture Podcast, where we discuss tech, gaming, health, and the world around us. Welcome back to Codeplay Culture Podcast. Rui Logan back at it again. Today we have a new friend joining us, Dan. Welcome. How are you today? I'm doing good, doing good. How about yourself? Very good. Uh, Dan is joining us to, um, as an application developer to talk about all things um, F-sharp, if we can stay on topic. Um, I personally have no experience with, or very little experience with F-sharp. And, um, you know, I, you know, as we've been working together and and, and coding periodically, um, just learning about how all the new C-sharp features, like F-sharp had it, you know, had it first, it's a little bit more and even discriminated discriminated <laughs> discriminated unions was like more easy or easier in f sharp when they brought it to c sharp it's like certain things just work better from a functional perspective and a lot of the c sharp things are going that way with the new switch expressions and all of that stuff so first off like how did you fall into uh getting like a, a deep wealth of knowledge on f sharp uh, that really started just as a personal side project. Uh, it's kind of the things where you're, you're driving along and you see this thing under the corner of your eye, uh, in technology and you're just like, Oh, what is that? That kind of interests me. And you know, what's this thing all about? Um, I think it was, uh, it started with the, you know, functional programming in general. Um, there's a lot of similarities between, uh, it and um, you know just the way you think about making a compiler, and I was always kind of good at that stuff in, in in school and things like that. And a lot of the things that they were touting kind of hit home. Um, so I just kind of explored it, and it was kind of like I don't know this. Let me just learn it as as a thing. It's kind of like just set myself a challenge. Um, that was kind of cool. There was like um, other ones from Microsoft that fell by the way words i'm not lumping f sharp into that obviously it didn't but there was like j sharp -sharp, yeah yeah this was all back in like 2002 iron ruby uh uh, iron python like a lot of them were just like hey we this one was supposed to be ocaml uh which is a functional language but in net and like Mm. you know how can we apply this language to net Um, right and uh, I think it's it's good for the space because it makes the um, not the C sharp languages developers really think about things, but it can go down like a different a lower level into IL because um, mm-hmm. I think if Don Syme didn't work on F sharp and those things, you wouldn't have generics in in C sharp like right. some like really .NET you know one point one and. 2.0 things like mm. those foundational mm. pieces uh, you wouldn't really see or they would have a really different effect because forcing you into that different paradigm makes you like think of different programming in a different way and you'll have different underlying structures that are, are available and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that kind of speaks to like <clears throat> the tunnel vision limited foot. Like you, you don't know what else is out there. Like how could you like say that, you know, you love, like I'm, like I would slurp the soda of a C sharp shake, like from some shifty shyster in a heartbeat, yeah. um, you know, like, but 
if you're not actively trying out different languages, how do you compare and contrast and take the best of those worlds and apply it? Like the, I heard that, I think it's called Kotlin, which is like that newer, I don't know, Android instead of Java, it's whatever. But apparently C-sharp developers, um, like Nick Chapsis on his channel, he said that, um, hey, uh, to, I forget the guy's name, but if you like C-sharp, you definitely like Kotlin. Um, But yeah, like Rui, you have a lot of this, like different languages. And when you like. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I've dabbled in, in many different languages. I like to dip my toes in in many different pools, um, so to speak. But <laughs> um, on that note, what was the purpose of, uh, I have a question. What was the purpose of J Sharp? Is that, was that some kind of failed experiment at like uh, mimicking Java? Is that what that was? I think before my time, um, I, I saw the book in chapters as like J Sharp for dummies, but like that's mm-hmm. the book I didn't open. Um, so J Sharp <laughs> is, is for dummies or is that, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like I was trying J- to make a pun, but it, yeah. that didn't work. There was like a dummies book I had in my office one time. It was just on my mm-hmm. shelf. Like, and it was like back when you had to go in to work, you know, like, so like there was like a manager that's like, he, he like really thought I was. You know, like him and I are still friends. He's like, hey, Logan, you got to turn that book around. It's just like when I just glanced by your office, right above your head, it says like Microsoft Access for Dummies, right? And I had an and arrow like, pointing down. like Yeah. And, and then like some like right floating right emoji arrows, like pointing. It's like, how are those things like floating, right? So um, uh, <clears throat> do you think that F sharp, uh, sorry, F sharp, uh, J sharp became C sharp because Java, they ripped of Java a bit, oh, right? Yeah, there totally. was that kind of you know, like that's why, need that's to why make a Java. That's why .NET exists, right? It's because yeah, they were trying exactly. to, you know, latch on to like, okay, like Java is really popular. Let's do it at Microsoft. Can we like switch our Visual Basic guys into like, I don't know, a different Microsoft thing that's a little bit mm-hmm. uh, newer or whatever. Let's get off of VB6. Mm-hmm. Yeah, VB6. Well, they did it better, that's for sure. <clears throat> they did it much better. Yeah. But people again, love it's, it's just a personal opinion, but people love Java, right? But um, it does. You, you did raise a good point, Marie. Um, it's kind of the thing where it's it's kind of like a disease where I was I was C sharp for a good portion of my career. Like learned a couple things mm-hmm. in school, but you know landed on .NET and kind of stuck there. Um, yeah. But once I learned F sharp. There were so many other languages and patterns and practices that you start dipping your toe in and you mm-hmm. find out these things that exist out there. And it's all about like continual learning and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. um, was I ever going to look at Haskell and like category theory and all this math stuff? I don't understand any of it, but like mm-hmm. I've dipped my toes and like know these things exist. Um, right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like you're sheltered from the world because it's very uncomfortable. But once you actually realize that these things exist, yeah, mm-hmm. learning all these different uh, languages or at least um, different communities exist and different ways of thinking. Um, right. And um, I think that's kind of what opened my eyes up when I started learning F Sharp is just like I now think differently and can think differently about different um, patterns. Right. Um, and practices and, and development techniques. Um, uh, F sharp has um, really, uh, because of the strict discriminated unions, they have a really, really good grasp on domain driven design. Mm-hmm. 
such to the fact that it's not a thing where you need to go and I forget the guy's name, but like the guy who wrote the book on domain driven design. Um, I'm not reading his book because it's just so ingrained into the language. I don't need to go right. and, you know, hmm. yep. uh, do that, that piece kind of thing. Um, like you That'd just, be a better book for like VB.net developers or something like that because it's not so baked into like yeah. it's 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 a, it's ingrained into the way you feel about the language and interact with the language that mm-hmm. um, it just becomes second nature kind of thing. So like the first mm-hmm. thing an F sharp developer will do will be they'll write out their domain and what are their what does their program do? What is the core things and and core th- and right. they'll just start describing the things or they'll describe their APIs. Like, what is your API? Well, it's a get request that accepts this parameter, this parameter, and you get out this thing and you have your, your domain of what, like whatever it is that you're working in. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that blew my mind was when you said that, you know, essentially it's like a strongly typed or a more strongly typed Python where like, if you don't want to use Python, you could kind of just use F sharp. Like if you don't want to go like yeah. Python synonymously to uh you know f sharp is like javascript to like c sharp kind of or typescript like is is it a direct replacement for like if, if let's say i'm a dotnet developer and i live in a bubble and i don't want anything else other than dotnet to enter my love love life would i do f sharp instead of python um actually there is a really good um Really good presentation done by one of the former um, uh, head F Sharp guys at, at Microsoft, uh, Philip Carter, and he was like, "We got to stop doing um, F Sharp as a better C Sharp. We're never going to convert the mm. two orders of magnitude of developers to convert over F Sharp." But mm-hmm. it's more like um, friends don't let friends learn Python. Um, <laughs> it's like the JavaScript recovery class where like, Hey everybody, I, I do JavaScript. My name is Logan. Hi Logan. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> like I got my blue chip. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to dunk on, on Python developers. Fair it's, enough. it's a good language and you get a lot of worth from just the like sheer volume of community. But like mm-hmm. as a, as a .NET developer, type safety is one of those things that probably you've kind of latched onto and it's your safety mm-hmm. net. Like, okay, if I have these classes here and I design it this way and these are protected and these are, are public, like if it compiles, um, I run it once and, you know, I might have to do a couple things that, uh, and debugging and stuff like that. But, you know, generally my type safety will solve me this thing. In programming in F sharp, it's the same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. If it compiles, it works in F sharp. Is the uh, is like the little tagline for F sharp because yeah. just the way you're you know defining your domain um, and also the funny thing is it's uh, you also have heavy type inference. So not only do you have the type safety like mm-hmm. this is a string you're only working in strings you're not trying to switch uh, strings to int you got to be explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have the type inference where you don't have to write out the types anywhere. Like you don't have to write out, this is a string. This is an I enumerable of an I dictionary of a whatever. You just say, well, this is my variable. Like there's no, like, like a var in C sharp kind yeah. of thing. Um, it's going to, because of the strong typing system, um, it is able to figure out based on how you're using it, what the thing actually is. So if your method is generic, 
it's going to say it's generic. If your method is using specifically these things, it's going to yeah. work that way. Nice. Like a variant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's, so, um, it has its restrictions though, to, to get those benefits. That's, that's mm, the thing mm. I'll say. So like, I've never like programmed in it and I haven't looked at some code in F sharp in a while, but just thinking about it, is it just like methods that return something? Is that, um, that all it is? Like oh, when they say functional, what does that mean? You know, good topic. Um, okay, so C sharp is a statement based language. Okay, you hit that semicolon, that's your statement. Mm. Um, F sharp, uh, there is no semicolon uh, for one thing. Um, it's like really, you did a new line. Did you need to do the semicolon and a new line to I see agree the for, next line? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it is tab sensitive like Python, but honestly, that's not a problem. It's only a problem for people who think it's a problem. Um, <laughs> Agreed. If you, did a Venn, if you did a Venn diagram of like the actual times that it actually is a problem, um, you find out like it's, it's very minuscule. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, sorry. What was I saying? Um, yeah. So like the, it was like a C sharp is a statement based oh, yeah, yeah. language. Um, C sharp is a statement based language. F sharp is an expression based language. Um, so which means, uh, if you type in one plus one semicolon in C sharp, it's going to give you a compile error. If you type in one plus one in F sharp, it's going to give you the value two. Right. If you write an if statement, um, if this is true, then five else this is false and five you can store that if statement into a variable just like absolutely everything is an expression mm. so like the newer style of like c sharp for like switch switch expressions could be like if everything's like that because it'll store it's back to a variable exactly you always okay. have to store it back into a variable if you want to ignore something you got to be explicit to ignore something um, and when you do it in that pattern, basically you try and kind of chain everything together, um, mm -hmm. much like back in the Unix days where you were like doing pipes in between, like you pipe it from this thing <laughs> into something else, into yeah. the third thing. Yeah. And it's very, it, that is why the pipe symbol has been starting to explore out, uh, into different languages as well from F sharp, because, mm. um, it's a good way to to program. Um, oh yes. If you look so at that's like your fluent API where you would say dot then, um, order by, or then it's like you're chaining, like your exactly. fluent API chaining is the pipe. Uh, so you would say like uh, one plus one pipe, um, you know, two, and then that would return true. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you're looking at, um, it's really good for like data processing because mm. it's the way you have to write it is the way you usually think. Um, mm. If you look at standard C sharp or JavaScript like code, it's always <laughs> read from the inside out. You do like five and then you wrap it around, you know, to string and then you wrap it around to upper and then you wrap that around um, mm. thing. But when yeah. you actually try and read it, you're trying to, okay, what is the thing on the inside that I'm trying to read? And mm -hmm. then I keep on chaining like out and out and out. And then the final step is like the big statement. So 
So the one plus one pipe A would assign the the number two to the variable A. Would that uh, be that something like that. It's kind of like <laughs> um, we're trying to figure out coding problems. It, exactly, it's it's like some of this stuff. Um, if we do it a presentation, I would actually like show things on the screen of actually yeah. writing these things out. Um, <clears throat> but it's basically like you think you're data manipulation steps all in a, in a pipeline kind of thing. Cause you're like, <laughs> okay, I have this array and then I want to convert step two. I want to convert the array um, and do some validation on it. Step three, I want to take those array of values after that. And then step three is like insert into the database and then notify the user by sending them an email. And then I want to return a success to the screen. So the way you write in F sharp is literally like step one, pipe to step two, pipe to step three, pipe to step four. Mm. And you can actually read it on the screen is just from top to bottom. This is what it's doing. If you did the same thing with um, C sharp or Java, you'd be like, okay, the array is in the middle or in the center. And then I wrap that around the validation. And then I wrap mm. it around with, I think it's, it's why the builder pattern feels great because you're just mm. like, oh, like I don't have to figure out which happens first. It's just like whatever, read it top down, top to bottom, um, and you're good to go. The and you can is, still like, uh, can you break up those different sections? Or I might be thinking about it in a C-sharp mentality, but like, is it like, and we should probably should like stop ourselves from talking about something visually like would just like go and look at it at the end of the day, go and look at it or whatever. But like in between the different pipes, like are those different methods or that just one statement or uh, everything you know? is a function um, okay. in, in F sharp. Everything is a function. Um, you have an input and you have mm -hmm. an output. Um, yep. Funnily enough, everything is also a one parameter function. Um, and they will do little tricks to, um, to go and extend those things out. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of almost like it's, they've proven it exactly the same as dependency injection. Right. It's like dependency injection for every single function that you had. And it's just baked into the, the language kind of thing. Um, so even if you're like, you know, execute the statement on the database has like seven parameters. Um, yeah. You can start to build out little functions that just go, okay, the connection string is the same. So like, um, my configure connection string for production equals, uh, connecting to the database with the production connection information. And then you mm. just kind of build things on there. It's like, yeah, it's very, I unique. do like how you can read, like, like if you can mimic how humans read with like a fluent API or something where you said like in C sharp, you would just use obviously static extension methods with like the, this keyword. And then you just chain. So you're like, um, you know, var, I don't know, some variable. And then you do dot, um, then to string, then to database, then like, you just keep on like chaining these dot. I remember an MVC, uh, .net core before, like, like they went away from that. And now everything's blazer, <laughs> like, every, like web forums, every, everything became blazer is like, you would have in dotnet core mvc like when you're writing in views this big long like dot like fluent api all the way is like this huge 
block of code that's just all chained with fluent like dot expressions is very synonymous to the piping here i'll, I'll make know. it i'll make it really simple for you if you like programming in link take a look at it mm. um because the core of link is functional programming um the core building block building blocks of uh link uh, like eric merger and a couple of them like they're big Haskell buffs, big functional programming people. They put it in .NET many ages ago and just kind of hid it away as like, oh, it's a new style of thing where it's really, mm. it's functional pro programming at its core. Mm. And um, you get the inherent, like, yeah, select star from database, where this and order by, and they all happen in steps and they all read from top to bottom. Mm. And then it's kind of the thing where you're like, um, what if I could do that same thing, but with my own code? Um, is that that level of power and feeling of just being able to, you know, go through your code like that is uh, is really powerful. Cool. Yeah, like um, Link is a good like um, you know example for people that you know if they like Link, then go to you know try try F sharp. Um, I, I haven't done too much of that stuff where you can actually have like a this and then like a funk of T or something. And you can actually start like Lambda, get into Lambda hell where you can actually start chaining different Lambdas, like not EF core style of, you know, expression tree builders and stuff like that. Some of that stuff's like pretty <laughs> one guy on the, like a EF core um, podcast uh, or, you know, stand up. Where they got the whole um, state of the unicorn thing. He was showing how you can do like tenant IDs um, that are in Entity Framework Core, like part of it's like a query in EF Core that's um, pre-compiled, -pre but then um, it's like a pre-compiled expression tree. But every time you call to this table, it automatically appends. Oh, global query filters. So he built out this thing that appends tenant IDs, global query filters. And it's like it, one thing he said on the pod, he's like, here's the uh, expression tree builder for the the tenant. And he's like, I I know like when you look at it, you don't, no one can understand it, but it works very well. <laughs> but well, no, it's, it's good because it's you kind of touched on why why link is powerful. It's because it's an expression tree. Why? Yeah. Oh, it's expressions. So if you have an expression-based language, then you're mm -hmm. just, your whole thing kind of flows like that. Um, the um, It does come from a couple other languages like uh, Haskell, where everything's lazily evaluated, um, mm. um, where a good pattern is basically you describe what your program is supposed to do with your workflow. Mm -hmm. um, and then you wrap that around with one thing that's going to... Um, be the context for, for how that feels kind of thing. So like you'll describe your async workflow um, and all the steps that are going to be performed. And then you wait until the last step before you go, okay, now run the async thing. Up until then, it's just basically an expression tree of like the things that you're going to try and perform. Nothing actually happens until you kind of, you know, do that last statement of uh, make it real kind of thing. Have you ever used the type lazy of t yeah. yeah i just i just i've never used it i just 
kind of want to use it. I just, but I, <laughs> I can't, I can't actually, it's not a dad joke, like coming in or whatever, but I just, I haven't gotten around to like trying out to use lazy of tea. I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I'll research lazy of tea, but I'm like, ah, I'll do it some other time. It's not like an inherent joke, but like, where would you use like, cause you said uh, F sharp is very like, uh, the expression tree is like lazily, um, that kind of stuff. Like we're, um, because it, is it okay. with the, um, yeah, how does it work? Is it at build or at, do you get runtime errors or you won't get build errors if it's like expression trees? Well, it's, that's the thing. Um, it, it run, you basically, um, programming in F sharp is very interesting. Um, because, uh, remember C sharp interactive, it's probably something that you haven't used quite enough. Um, right. They added that a couple of years ago because well, uh, yeah. F sharp has it, and um, you know it feels okay in, in C sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of things that it doesn't really do very well because, like um, in F sharp, basically the way you're developing, you're trying to develop in chunks and bite-sized pieces, much like Python. Python is same thing with their read, eval, print loop, their interactive session. You write a section of code, you test it right away, and you kind of interact with it as you're playing around with it. Okay, it works, I'll go on. Because it's an expression-based language, um, you just kind of get the results like in the little window at the bottom. Um, You're not trying to manage an object with state and stuff like that. You're just like, run a function, look, here's some input to a function, go look at the output. And it's very Mm -hmm. easy, um, quick quick cycles for going in, testing something out, seeing if it works, and then uh, running it. Again, like this is something that, we had live demos and stuff like that. You can yeah. just see the different flow that people go through as they're trying mm-hmm. to build out stuff. Um, yeah. It's the whole like hot reload, reducing the mm-hmm. amount of cycles for, for developers to go through. Yeah. Like whatever the inner loop for the development loop, you do want to have that as tight as possible because, you know, it should only be the developer that's like trying to think that slowing it down or not slowing it down, but you don't want, you want your hardware to work for you, not against you. Um, Have you seen like a big solution, .NET solution, bunch of C sharp, whatever functions, all the stuff. And then a project inside there that's F sharp. And what is it used for? Is it? Yes. Okay. So what do you mix both languages? Oh yeah. Okay. It is all .NET. Yes, it compiles to CLR, right? Which compiles down to IL, right? Yeah, exactly. It is all .NET. You can okay. take F. It's really funny. You can take F Sharp and uh, decompile it in C Sharp to see what they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. And what you'll notice is fifteen lines of code in F Sharp will be about <laughs> eight hundred lines of code in C Sharp. That's a lot of bytes, wow. too. Like, um, so. Mm-hmm. Like fun- functional programming, um, because of the style, it is, uh, you got to double check what you're doing. Um, they do have, uh, I don't even remember from school, like tail recursion and stuff like that. Like, so it won't like create stacks and it will just mm-hmm. like automatically go. And so you won't get that bloat of like actual recursion. Yeah. Um, but um, there are a lot of defaults in the language. And it's basically, that's the way the language was designed, was just like sensible defaults. So mm-hmm. if you follow the sensible defaults, 
you try and fall into like the pit of success. So um, like everything is immutable by default. Okay. Um, my VPN is uh, conking out here. Um, everything is immutable by default. And what that does is it basically um, <clears throat> makes it so that everything works with asynchronous really effectively right out of the box. And you don't have to mm. worry about somebody changing your state as you're you know, enumerating through a list kind of thing. Um, right. So you get all that performance benefit too with immutable objects because you're not dealing with like stack versus heap versus whatever. You just like destroy and create a new object based on the other object. So like probably records as a concept uh, minus the syntactic sugar was an F sharp thing, maybe kind of first ish uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. It's like one of mm. the first things um, mm. because that's how it's just like, I have some core data structures. They're immutable. You can't change them. You can only create them. Um, there's good things where just like, um, mm -hmm it feels good to go and modify them and play around with them. And there's mm. some hidden pattern, like functional patterns that um, the, like lenses and stuff like that. Of If you actually went down into like the math of it and, mm. and that stuff, it's like, Oh, what am I doing in all these other programming languages of like setting individual properties when it's just like, there are some core fundamental things in programming, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's not Alan Turing, it's Alfonso Church or whatever. It's like, it's the different camp. Uh, right. They had a fight back in the 50s about like which one was better. And it turns out they're both right. Um, mm. that's, that's the weird thing. Um, yeah, yeah sen sensible defaults in the language to make things um, so that you don't shoot. Uh, nulls, here's another one, nulls. You mm. guys ever have to work with nulls? Yeah, Yeah. we, 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 we bane of our existence of like... <laughs> You All know, right. I, yeah. Bill, billion dollar problem, right? F sharp, yep. no nulls whatsoever. Uh, Love that. Oh man, I got to get on this F sharp stuff because like <laughs> I've had the C sharp stuff like going to me via IV and I've just been completely, you know, cloak over the eyes kind of thing. Right. So like no nulls. nulls in F sharp. The only time you have to worry about it is when you have to deal with, uh, C sharp developers or C sharp uh, <laughs> coming into it. When you have to walk over the other side, um, yeah. that's when you kind of have to deal with it and make it feel better for uh, for the other side and pay attention to these things. But yeah. um, this must be one of the few programming languages that have have no nulls because, mm -hmm. as far as I know, they all have they all have nulls, right? Mm. And it's like that's the problem that it only shows up in runtime, right? You're like you're not really going to see it. Um, yeah, right. That's that's the other thing with the um, you probably enjoy with the switch expressions where they mm -hmm. do the um, exhaustive ish matching. Like, hey, you missed yep. one. Yes. Um, in F sharp, because you're usually creating your own discriminated unions, like you'll say like payment method, um, mm -hmm. and payment method will be we accept money, we accept credit cards, and we accept these things. And Ethereum and like uh, small bits of string. Exactly. You're like, yeah, yeah. You're, we only accept these three. So yeah. you create this domain in your F sharp program <clears throat> and then everywhere else, it will tell you all of the places that you, oh, you added a new payment method and it will light up 
everywhere that you missed the thing uh, mm. because you're creating your own domain. So it's like you go through, you fix all your warnings, um, and you're good to go kind of thing. It will tell you all the places that you're not hitting all the cases that you possibly could be. So you probably get a more bulletproof, uh, less buggy application because of that, right? Exactly. Obviously, no nulls. Um, I mean, I'm like very pro no null, like to the point where, you know, back, you, you could be pretty bad. You could be like, you know what? From this controller, I'm going to return nulls. I'm going to return exceptions. I'm going to return, you know, maybe an empty list or I'm going to return the list that's populated to the point where I'm like, no, I'm just going to try catch and like return default. <laughs> like at the end of the day, like I don't want someone using this function to like null check it. You know, like you're going to get something reliable if, you know, whatever. I'm like, nulls are like, if you don't check them correctly, like so many times people check, um, you know, if the list is, if the count, you know, list.count is whatever, but then they'll get a null ex error exception because they didn't check if it's null first. I'm like, so like so many different objects, you have to check nullability differently. It's like, mm -hmm. if you have a language from the ground up that doesn't have, uh, like if it has no nullability, then it's all for the better. Sorry, my cat just got shaved. So he's like demanding warmth. <laughs> and like, I'm like trying to get him to, you know, go, go away in the nicest possible way. But I'm like, at the end of the day, just, you know, stay warm. Uh, another, <laughs> we have to like put heating pads on because they've become these pretentious prima donnas where they're like, I cannot regulate my own body temperature without a pet heating pad. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have bought that cat backpack. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah. but anyhow, but yeah, I hate nulls. So exceptions are the other thing. So, um, this is more of a style of programming thing, um, in F sharp. So it's kind of like you're, you're designing an API. You're designing how people are going to interact with your code. And you've probably done the thing in, um, in C sharp where it's like, okay, I have to make a decision. Do I return a negative one? Do I return a null? Do I throw an exception or do I do something else? Because of the advent of like discriminated unions in, in F sharp and just being that's, that's how you describe what your domain is. Um, discriminated unions really are just enumerations that can have data with them. So they're just enums. But mm -hmm, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, a credit card with a credit card number associated with it. Like, right. these are my three cases of all the payment methods that I accept. This one has a little bit of data associated with it. This one has a little bit of data associated with it. Mm -hmm. And it works with all the pattern matching. So for, for those things, it's kind of like, would you rather a method or function throw an exception? Or would you rather it return you a successful result a validation result or an error result, mm -hmm. you know? And um, the guy who receives this, he's just like, oh, I called a function. It returns me three cases. I just have to execute those three cases. If you go down the exception route, it's just like, oh, I have to know that this guy throws an exception and maybe I'll handle it, but maybe the argument null exception or divide by zero exception or a random exception that I'm not expecting because it's in some sort of like core .NET 
library that I didn't <laughs> like propagate up or handle or, um, yeah, exceptions kind of feel bad sometimes because, you know, it always bubbles up three levels higher than you actually intended it to. Yeah. Um, and you get to, to the yellow screen and ASP.NET or Blazor, like, yeah, yeah. And your app, whole application failed kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like in, in, um, in Blazor, they have this thing that I, they haven't promoted since they came out with it in six or seven, .NET 6 or 7, which is the, it's some kind of block of code that, you know, a component that they kind of stole, they cherry picked from all the different spa frameworks, but it's like some kind of exception handler kind of component. And then it'll show two different UIs. One, if there's an exception, one, if there's not of like, you know, kind of like, but I'm thinking like, you know, more on like a, a human psychology level. If you're like going into a application and you see a bunch of errors, you're going to be like, Oh, this application is buggy as hell. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm, it's almost yeah. like there's a whole thing of like, do you actually bubble it up? Um, like sometimes people are like, if development show the whole stack trace, if production continue, <laughs> you know, like, like, cause you don't want to damage credibility of like, look at all these bugs, right? Even the word bugs are like negative connotations. Like why does your application have bugs? Like yeah, it's mm -hmm. so buggy. Why are you fixing bugs? Should it not have bugs? <laughs> I'm like, like it's that kind of stuff. But the exception handling in C sharp specifically also has a lot of resources assigned to those exceptions are not very performant to throw. Yeah, no, it, it, and yeah, exactly. It breaks the stack. Uh, um, you have the bubbling problem. You have the, also have the human element of like de developers who don't want to do the thing and they'll just wait until like, oh, I'll just make sure that I have a global exception handler and that global yeah. exception handler will like handle everything. That yeah. way I don't have to handle this specific error when it's this case, like, no, you're processing a credit card, like handle the error here in the yeah. business side of it um, yeah. so that you actually can, you know, do your retries or, or you know, do the things. I'm, I'm saying these are the only three things. It can either work, it didn't work, or um, there's a validation measure. Like these are the three things. Like these are the only options coming out of this function. There's no other cases yeah. that you have to handle kind of thing. Yeah, I do like the reliability of that. I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, you're going to get back these three things. You know, and if you're not, you're, there's no way, like, unless the service is down, but at that point, if like, whatever, I don't, we don't have to talk about that, but like the whole credit card thing of like, this is atomic, you know, like, um, Azure SQL ledger of like, no, there was something written there. Everyone agrees. The ledger has been validated. It's like a blockchainable ledger of yeah. reliability, right? Like that whole thing of like, you just want to call something and get something and never worry if it's, you know, been mutated and it's always not null and all that stuff. It's like reliability is really important with functions and all that stuff. People develop this trust over time when like, no, it'll, it'll happen. It went into some kind of queue or, you know, whatever it's there, whether it be processed or not, you know, how's the memory management in F sharp compared to like say C sharp? Is it, yeah. does it operate the same way? Uh, it's not that it is it's it, it's all the same right so i'm thinking so it, for like, it is only it is only the patterns that you're using okay mm. uh when you're programming so mm. like f sharp is functional by default so mm. 
Um, which means that you can use classes, you can define classes, you can do procedural programming if you, if you really want mm. to. And it's basically going to be like the times that you need to care about it right. are going to be the times that you would actually spend time to look at the data structures that you need to work on the thing and do a thing. If you have an array of a hundred items, are you going to care that it takes 100 picoseconds versus 110 picoseconds? Mm -hmm. No. But if you have like a billion items, you're probably going to have, you know, seven, eight engineers around a table and figuring out the minutia of the thing. If you right. just have that like 100 items, then you're just going to write it in the easiest way it's going to be to debug the statement kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Sorry, you're getting back to that one thing we didn't, loop on is the same project like you um and you mentioned that you you added one in like what was it for testing was it for like a python oh, level of this like, is perfect yeah. perfect yeah. segue yeah. um okay so um f sharp has something called type providers it's kind of like the code generators in c sharp just with a different flavor um at their core they generate code Okay, and they generate compiled code. So they actually generate like things that the compiler will do. Um, you can do anything with type providers. They're really amazing. Um, the best use of type providers that I've seen for code generation are the ones um, that I use to make myself look really good at work. So you can point a type provider at a Excel document, a piece of data, a database, some sort of metadata, mm -hmm. and it will generate a class based on that metadata. So I have a type provider that I did for a database conversion. And this is like one of the primary uses I would always use F sharp where, mm. um, they gave me uh, a set of data that they needed to do data migration from one system to another. Okay, and we don't have any ETL stuff, uh, extract, transform, load stuff here yeah. installed or, or things that we can use. So the only thing was like, the data is small enough, just create a script for it or whatever. Yeah. Um, so F sharp, you point the type provider at the, um, the CSV, the JSON file, the whatever, mm -hmm. and it's just like a one liner in your project. And then you go and load the data and it will give you a class that looks exactly like your JSON, a class that looks exactly like your CSV or your Excel document that you have or your database table. And it will pull back the things of like, oh, we looked at the first hundred rows of your sample. This column is a date time. This column is a string. This column has missing values in it, so it's an optional string or a nullable string. And then you go and program with it, and you're like, oh, go insert it into this table. The, you have another type provider pointed at the database. The database will come back and look at the metadata of the database and say, oh, this column is not nullable. These two types don't match up. You're trying to put a, a not nullable thing and mm. a nullable thing to something in the database that's not nullable. You're going to have to handle that and gives you like a red error message in your, um, in your database. Um, so I was working through the sample 
of like a hundred records or whatever. And it was time to like do it, you know, do the real thing where, you know, you have a hundred thousand uh, items or whatever. It is time. Um, it it's is like time from Lion King. It is time. And then you it actually is, have to hit prod and do this whole like, okay, here we go. <laughs> right. Okay. So you put in the, the lives, the live sample into the, the type provider. It goes back. It regenerates your class structure and whatever from the sample. This is all like while you're compiling. So if you like yeah. replace the file on your thing, or um, you might have like a version one to version two sample for your JSON, you're targeting mm -hmm. a different piece of the API. And all yeah. of a sudden the compiler lights up things where it's like, oh, I know for like the first hundred records in your original sample, like the middle name was all filled out. But guess what? For like a couple of random samples in the middle where you had some bad data, guess what? Your entire name is optional here. So mm. it's highlighting in your compiler that you have like issues with your data because now instead of like, um, this should have been a date time, but somebody decided to put a string in here and then an integer in here and the columns all get shifted. Over. And like, it highlights in your um, compiler that like, hey, there's an issue with your data. You're your data doesn't match how you're trying to use it kind of thing. This is mm. no longer a string. Uh, this is no longer an integer. There's some string values in here. Um, right. <clears throat> so if you were tasked to like kind of uh, provide some integrations between, let's say your ultimate destination is whatever database vendor, and you wanted to like program a bunch of integrations, uh, Oracle, Postgres, JSON, uh, any kind of open AI kind of like, I don't know, any flavor of data in like SSIS style, would you do what you did in um, F sharp, uh, like kind of make this ETL uh, data integration package? For, for this weird one, yes. Um, because not only did they, uh, did they switch up like, or have like injected bad data, they switched mm -hmm. database providers midway through. Ooh. And when they did that, it was like, oh, this column was an integer in um, in this one, but it's a byte in this one. Ah, that does byte. So <laughs> that's like highlighting something. Like, so all I did was like change the connection string for for the type provider. The type mm -hmm. provider takes over in the compiler and does the code generation in the background, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's starting to light up all the things where like, oh hey, by the way, dude, like. They didn't, when they did the conversion of the database from MySQL to SQL Server, like they changed all these columns. This mm -hmm. column doesn't exist anymore. Uh, mm. This column is now a byte instead of an integer. You probably have to go and look at that. And then you just have to walk through and go like, oh, does this actually make a difference? Okay, how, like, how am I actually going to handle each of these things? Right. You fix all the compilers, you run it, it's good. Right. Have you used SSIS? No. Like we, we don't have most of these tools. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So like I did back in the day and just imagine a visual editor um, where you have this table and then a line drawn to it, like a UML diagram. And then it goes to here. So uh, destination and source. And then you have like along the way conversions, this column maps to this, but you wouldn't really know if it'll ever work until you actually run it. And then it'll be running. You're like, Oh, why did it fail? I don't know. Like, so, Obviously, there's not much Microsoft push to evolve SSIS. There's other things, um, and I'm drawing a blank on their Azure variant of that. I think it's 
data studio. There's like so many, like by the time you learn something in Azure, oh, that's deprecated because now it's not even called Active Directory. It's called Entra or some like, <laughs> okay, you guys slow it down like a bit. You know, you guys are good, but we're uh, still catching up. Um, but that sounds like a strongly typed version of like SSIS or um, so t yeah, to getting back to the question, would, would you, or was it just like, this was a perfect well, project for it? Or? This is a perfect project because it was like, we don't have the tools to do the ETL or like they switched okay. cloud. They switched from a, a public cloud to a secure cloud. So the tools wouldn't have been available anyways. Or they're like the requests on the side of your desk were just like, hey, can you like convert this or like do this thing with this data? I don't want it in this format. I want it in this like other format. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you wouldn't have an ETL for that. It would just be like, oh, you just need a developer to like chunk through or do some data Fair processing. Enough. Yeah. Um, totally, totally would recommend uh, that kind of stuff for that. Um, met, um, Going through and mucking around with data and series of data also feels really good in the language. Mm. And the the whole ETL tool thing you're talking about, like, well, yeah, also those cost money and they're yeah. all based on things like F sharp doing whatever. Anyways, you might as well go low level if you're trying to, like I, I was talking to you before about the huge Azure bill that just got hit because we're using a bunch of open AI services. Like, yeah, they're great, but you know, like Microsoft's marking them up like a little bit. And like, if you're like not expecting like a $2,000 Azure bill this month, you know, that kind of hits hard sometimes. Right. So you're like, dial it back now, call open AI directly and then save, you know, two cents on every call or whatever it is. Right. Am um, I going to learn Azure data factory? Um, <laughs> Exactly. Or am I just going to use like the thing that's not, like, it's a one-time thing. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's never a one-time thing, but uh, yeah. Yeah. There's am also I, the low level, right? Yeah. Like if you're going to do it multiple times, then maybe, or if there's other teams and considerations for, okay, they use it. So we might as well do it. But as soon as you go super low level, you're going to get the perf. Like Steve Gibson, who's like on security now podcast with Leo Laporte. Um, he's like, um, Super uh, genius level, uh, build, builds all sorts of crazy time machines and things he can't talk about. But he built this hard drive recovery tool called SpinWrite um, in assembly. And he he's said why, because he, he just, it's not that he needed that. It's just that he knew in assembly, he could build a perfect program. It's just mm -hmm. that he, he said, you know, Windows, like these are toy operating systems. Like they're, they're not, built perfectly, yeah. you know, like, so he want, if you go super, I'm not saying like, you know, build your blazer Maui hybrid apps in assembly. Like I'm not like, that's a lot of work, right? We build these layers on top, like data studio way up here. Right. But if you go a couple layers lower, you're going to get all the perf benefits of, you know, an F sharp or, a, you know, you might not know why it's taking long in data studio, right? It could be their code, right? Like you don't want to go too low that you're like, let's rewrite, you know, C sharp, right? Or let's rewrite the CLR. You know, that's yeah. like, okay, okay. It's okay. Like we, we can like, <laughs> right? No, we don't get to rewrite that. But like, there is like, you know, people have gotten used to things being super quick. And if they're not, you know, thank you, TikTok. Thank you, Google. Thank you, five gigabit up and down ethernet. 
um, <laughs> or spoiling my kids to make them pretentious enough to be like, I think I was like playing a Nintendo Wii game on like a, you know, 47 inch flat screen. They're like, why does it look like that? I'm like, <laughs> seriously? I'm like, they're like, it's old. I was like, this is, this is a Nintendo Wii, right? This like, yeah, it's not HD. It's like 480p, right? I'm like, guys, really? Like, I'm like, they're used to like, you know, you know, 4K, 60 frames a second, Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision. And like, I'm like, and it's lightning quick. It's like, why is it taking so long to load? I'm you like, should be able to take the same thing. It's like, we know, we we knew at the time that this wasn't as good as the PlayStation and the Xbox, but we yeah. still we still bought into it because of the thing that it did with the handheld. Like, we yeah. already know it's bad. It's, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we like to chop vegetables. Yeah. And like, and like, uh, and like, in Metroid, it was cool. You like put in a thing and then you turned it. It's like a key and you pulled it out. I still remember that. Like, uh, uh, you know, man, you know, that's a, a good segue. Memory. I'm thinking like F sharp is probably more efficient for, for writing uh, unity scripts mm. instead of, um, C sharp. I wonder if that's uh, even yeah, you, can use, uh, you can use F sharp with unity. Um, yeah, I'm, I think people are trying to rewrite doom again. Uh, oh, wow. and yet, yet another thing <laughs> in F sharp. In F sharp. Yeah. Um, doom sharp. Well, you'll get a performance. Uh, you know, it does. It's the thing is it, it does. Uh, it's a performance boost for the developer. I would say, especially mm-hmm. like for writing these scripts and stuff like that. Uh, it definitely is because you do get a lot less code. And yeah. you don't have to learn another language like Python, which you know feels really good for scripting. Um, right. When you're learning a new language, there's usually two things you got to learn. You got to learn the language, mm-hmm. and then you got to learn the environment, and then you got to learn the IDE. With F Sharp, right. all your if you were a C Sharp developer, the only thing you have to learn is the language. Mm-hmm. So you already know how you know system collections generic works. It's the same thing. The only thing you have right. to learn is like the little language nuance. So if all you need is like a little scripting language, just give it a shot and try it because um, it's going to be less code. You're just going to read it top to bottom because that's how the language flows and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And um, it's real. And it, because of the way you program is just interactive, like you write a section, you run it immediately. You get the results. Right. Um, you're always testing and playing around with it. You don't have to hit like hit F5, wait a couple minutes for it to compile and load up the console program. Have the console program, you know, run start to finish, and then and then write the thing, read the thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it's very interactive to work with the language. Um, kind of nice. Thing. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to try F Sharp for. Um, I have a, a thing that will run um, pre pre-build or post-build on a component library I built and it builds out all of these sample pages for each of the components. Like you have a text box, here's all your permutations of this, you know, blazer component. And I, I, it's a CLI for, you know, building out those blazer pages and stuff like that. And it just runs top to bottom. It's a script. I'm just going to see if I can fork that. It's very small, like as a POC for like F sharp, you know, and I'll just be like, Hey, this is going to be another thing that runs pre-build and then just, you know, would it be good for that? You think? Oh, totally. Like any anything anything scripting based is a good way to like edge yourself into. Um, cool. We're definitely like I usually do use like the same exact program 
I've just rewritten. It's how like I know this hobby. It's my thing. It's um, you know could be like fantasy football or whatever, where it's just like this is a thing I'm interested in, and then I write mm-hmm. the thing, and then I rewrite it. Oh, I need to learn this other thing. Okay, well I'll rewrite it again and add this other module, and now I know how Azure Cloud works or or yeah. um, this graphing library works or whatever. And you just keep on like rewriting the exact same problem. You're not mm-hmm. having to learn the problem. You just have to learn the specific language kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And um, now I'm thinking about it. Like when I'm asking chat GPT four for like, Hey, uh, wh- how could I do this in this scenario? And they're like, and it's like, blah. And I'll be like, can you give it to me in F sharp? And it'll be like, okay. Like, and then exactly. it'll just it's allow so you to like see you it. Know. I'm like, wow, is that two lines versus like 20? Um, and then, so last question here before wrapping up, if you're, if you're first time tuning in or just, you know, you've found this on Spotify, Apple music, anywhere, and you're kind of interested in getting into F sharp, um, you know, Dan, what would you recommend for that? Like you coming from that area where I'm going to experiment, try it out. Like, um, now that you've gone through the gamut of like, you know, falling in love with a language, just really embracing it and it being the gateway drug to Microsoft's, you know, mule of options. Um, what would you recommend for developers getting into it? And in um, addition to that, give us some 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 info on the marketability of, of F Sharp. Mm. Marketability of F Sharp is a, a fun one. Um, it is hard to find F Sharp developers because of just the sheer order of magnitude of C Sharp developers. But mm. if you do find an F Sharp developer, they are very valuable because they're the guys who go outside of the fringe and have the extra ideas to learn those new languages. It's like if I came to you with a guy who knew like Clojure and Haskell and uh, Scala and C Sharp and like a list laundry list of things, he's like, oh, do, you're doing that for your hobby. Like programming is your hobby and that's the kind mm-hmm. of culture that I want here. Yeah. Um, it kind of doesn't have to be F sharp. It's just, those are the kind of people you'd be looking for. Um, right. And then if you give them F sharp work, um, you can just pay them dirt money. They will just do the job because they enjoy it. Um, mm. uh, that's the whole thing. Um, yeah. F sharp has a certain number of spaces that uh, feels really good for data science, um, working with data and stuff like that. Um and if you don't want to like introduce that whole other platform of like um, the whole like polyglot thing of you know .NET and the Python is over here yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, we're using this other thing over here, um, F Sharp like transpiles into all of those other languages anyways. So even if you have to interact with those things, like I, I never have to write JavaScript, I never have to write Python. I can write a React application without actually knowing how to use React. Um, like it translates into so many other languages. I didn't even talk about that that side of things in, in mm. this podcast. Um, those like are the podcast front end fr- front end F sharp uh, F sharp for front ends, and it'll be yeah. F sh- like front ends with like a a sharp symbol at the end, but exactly. uh, LBV too. Um, and then getting into it for new devs. Um, I'll do some call-outs to some things that really helped me out. Uh, there's obviously the, the try F sharp stuff online. It's got tons of good resources. 
Um, some of the things kind of require you to be already into it, uh, so I won't go into those ones. But there's one that um, it's called F Sharp for Fun and Profit. Um, there's a uh, guy came named Scott Washen. Uh, he does some really good expl explanations on it, even down to like um, the difference between C sharp and F sharp. And he basically walks through the entire presentation of like, oh, by the way, did you really need those curly braces? Uh, let me just remove those curly braces. Did you really need public? And then he, you'll show the entire progression from like one language to the other language. And he's really good at um, um, underlying those. Uh, a good series on something called railway-oriented programming. Um, it's always kind of like hidden functional meanings, but um, kind of just makes sense. Um, yeah, F-sharp for a fun and profit is really one that I'd suggest starting out with. If you can send that to us, we'll make sure it's included in the show notes so people can just scroll down on uh, whatever plat their favorite, you know, platform, YouTube, whatever. There'll be a link to that kind of stuff. Um, it's available on YouTube or like all of that stuff or. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah okay. So I'll, I'll send some um, uh, some good resources and stuff like cool. that uh, for uh, getting in your to uh, toes into it. Yeah. Um, and then just as for learning stuff, um, I would suggest um, Advent of Code. Um, it's something that runs in uh, December where they just give like um, different math problems or different computer science problems. And you go through the whole uh, December unlocking each one. And it's a good mm -hmm. way to learn new languages. Uh, should be starting mm -hmm. up in a couple of weeks. Um, so they do like the traveling salesman problem is like day 18 and mm -hmm. um, they usually have like a challenge step of like, you'll be able to do the basic example, but you'd have to actually kind of think of it to do the um, advanced example because it would like, you, you know, you add too many cities or to one minute too many recursions. And if you didn't like think about it, um, it's a good challenge for programmers to learn a new language kind of thing. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll have to make sure that we release this episode before December so people can take advantage of Advent of uh, Coding. Um, awesome. Um, Ruby, um, yep. any any last words before we walk the plank and go back into the madness that is the love of our life, which is programming, coding, coding. gaming, yep. getting back to the grind of helping people every day? Any last words before? Uh, we... No last words. Uh, maybe a few last words. Um I'm generally interested in, in F Sharp now. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, this was a good resource. Dan, I want to thank you for being here. Yeah, and absolutely, I'm going to take up that um, that dev uh, challenge and, and see how that goes. What is it called? Advent of Programming, right? Uh, Advent of Code. Um, Advent of Code, yeah. Advent of Code. It's I, have a mem I have the memory of a fish, sorry. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like for whatever language you're, you're trying to do. It's like language agnostic and you post yeah. your results and it'll give you... Nice. Uh, uh, yeah. new challenges every day. Kind yeah, of that seems interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Dan. Uh, with pleasure. We'll have to do a V2 on uh, F Sharp for front ends. Uh, thank you, Rui. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot.